Hey everybody, welcome to the review for our uh, political participation test. Um, the, the test in this unit, um, it, we, we covered a lot, but everything was kind of diced up into to small little subunits. You know, so we cover, covered the political parties, what we needed to cover, how they operate and things like that. And uh, we, we cover a lot in a short amount of time. So it's, it's kind of a weird unit. But anyways, uh, you don't want to hear about that. Let's get rolling with the review. Uh, so you got the review in class. Uh, it's also an e-class if you want a digital copy. Um, so here we go. Uh, the review is broken down into kind of subset, sub subjects. Uh, the test is too. So you'll see a voting rights section. You'll see a voter turnout section with questions that are based on that. Uh, so it's all going to be in, in there together. All right. So first off there. Uh, the Voting Rights Act of 1965 is the first thing on your review. And what you need to understand about the Voting, right, Voting Rights Act and, and just voting rights in general is all those things that are there. It's all about increasing political participation. How can we get more people to vote? All right. And so every single one of those things increased the, uh, the electorate somehow, some way whether it was making things easier to, to register to vote, making it uh, more people eligible to vote, whatever it might have been, uh, all those things did it. And so the Voting Rights Act of 1965 was uh, introduced specifically uh, to make it easier uh, and safer uh, for African-Americans to, to register for and to eventually vote, all right? Um, so that was the the big thing was was making get rid of some of those barriers that were in place all righty uh then we have the amendments all right and once again these amendments all expanded the electorate somehow now on the test um you're going to be given a um a, a description okay so 15th amendment african-american men were able to vote all right and it'll say that on the test. You'll then have to match it up to the correct amendment. So 15 African-American males can vote. So that's how it, uh, I'm trying to explain it. So you can, so when you see on the test, it doesn't make, it makes sense to you. Um, they'll have all those descriptions in Roman numerals, and then you'll match it up and put them in the correct order. So one, two, three, four, five, and then the answer choices will be all the amendments jumbled up and you want to put them in order. All right. So hopefully that makes sense. So the 15th amendment we just said, uh, gave all African-American men the right to vote. The 17th amendment is going to be the one, <clears throat> excuse me, that, um, gives us the direct election of senators. Okay. And, uh, how does that expand? You know, the African-American males get the, expands the electorate because now you have a whole new group of people that can vote. Uh, direct election of senators, we have a whole new election we can take part in. Before this, the state legislatures picked the, the state senators. So now there's a whole other election that we as citizens get to go vote in. The 19th Amendment gave women the right to vote. So women have suffrage. Remember, suffrage is the right to vote. Uh, so that expands the electorate by uh, increasing the number of people that can vote. Uh, the 24th Amendment is going to get rid of poll taxes. So that reduces the barriers uh, that uh, African-Americans specifically faced, along with other people. Uh, but mostly it was put in place to, to try to stop African-Americans from voting. So it's going to give them uh, an increase the opportunity for people that couldn't afford those poll taxes to vote. And then finally, the 26th Amendment gives 18-year-olds uh, the right to vote. So that's why you get to go out uh, and register and vote eventually. Uh, all right, voter turnout. 
is the next subsection. And first up there is political efficacy. And just remember, political efficacy uh, is the belief that you know your vote matters, that you taking part in the process is going to play a difference uh, in the election and in politics in general. And so uh, that's the big thing to remember there about that. Um, there's a couple graphs on here. I, I don't know that you really need to know what political efficacy is. Uh, for it. I think it's in, in, in one of the questions, but it's mostly graph reading uh, for this part of the test. Uh, responses to a lack of voter turnout. Basically, you know, what have states done? Because when states run the elections, what have the states done to combat the, the fact that people don't go out and vote? Uh, and it's just a number, any number of things you want to think about. Uh, the two big ones are going to be early voting and mail-in balancing and things like that. Let's make it easy. You know, we used to just have, here's the day, and that's the only day you can go vote was on that Tuesday uh, in November. Now, though, uh, we can request a mail-in ballot pretty early. Like I uh, told you, I did a mail-in ballot last go-around, and I think I requested it in September maybe. Uh, got it early October, filled it out, and sent it in. You know, it was quick and easy. Um, so just, just what, what have they done to try and to make it easier for people to vote? All right, next subset, the political parties. Uh, you got the nominations process, task of a political party, political parties versus interest groups, party platform, and then the voting types. A lot to say there, and I did it very quickly. Okay, so first off, the nomination process. Uh, remember that even though we go and we vote in the primaries and those caucuses um, during the spring of 2024, or recently the spring of 2020, we're voting. The official nomination is not until the national convention. And so the nomination process, yes, we're heavily involved and we actually get to pick who's going to be the nominee for the Republican and Democratic Party. But it has to come from those those uh, delegates. Sorry, I couldn't spit it out there. I apologize. Uh, from the delegates at the conventions. Right? They're the ones that have to actually cast the ballot and has to be done at, at that place. And that's that's what makes it official. Okay. Um, let's see. Task of the political party. Remember, they're going to nominate candidates to an extent, and maybe nominate might be the wrong word, uh, but they're they're out there looking for people to run uh, in congressional seats. Um, <clears throat> the presidency has kind of morphed into something different. It's really not as party centered as it is, um, you know, candidate centered at this point. So it, it, that's kind of a different thing. But at, at the congressional level. It is still a lot of, hey, I'm from this party and I'm here. I'm from this party. I'm here to run for the Senate, for this, the House, whatever it might be. Um, probably the, the number one thing is that you know, the, the goal of the party or the task of the political party is to win elections. Uh, remember, that's the whole goal of the political parties is to control the, the government through the having control of, of these offices. They have to do that by winning elections. So that's probably the biggest thing. Uh, they're also going to run, raise money. They're going to assist in campaigning uh, and do those kinds of things. All righty. Uh, political parties versus interest groups. <clears throat> Excuse me. Remember, we said a couple, we, we compared these two uh, in both the, the sections we did on them. Remember, the interest groups are going to be single issues, and they only are concerned about their one issue. And they don't want to run the government. They want to influence the government through policy laws that they like and whatnot. The political parties, on the other hand, they want to uh, run the government by winning elections. And so uh, that's a big thing. Um, 
and it, it forces the, the political parties to, to really focus on a whole bunch of different things versus interest groups, which are only going to focus on one uh, item. Uh, they both you know, raise money uh, for campaigns and things like that. Um, so, yeah, those are the big differences. <clears throat> the party platform. Uh, this is a low-level question on the test, so hopefully you, you appreciate the break you get from having to think too much. Uh, but that's just, hey, this is this is what we believe. Uh, this is how, where we stand on these issues. That's what the party platform is. Uh, and then the voting types, you got split ticket, party line, and all that kind of stuff. So remember, split tickets, that's where you'll go vote Republican for this, Democrat for that. Uh, party line, remember, that's where you're going to vote down the, the line. I'm only voting for Republican. I'm only voting for Democrat. It doesn't matter who it is. As long as they got that by their name, then that's who I'm voting for. Uh, that's what party line voting is. And then you have the, the retrospective voting, which is what you've done in the past, the prospective voting, which is what are they going to do in the future, and then the rational choice, which is what's best for me. All right, political parties change and adapt, uh, changes to the, the presidential campaigns, uh, and that is the fact that it's much more candidate-centered nowadays than it is party-centered. The, the parties have lost power there at the presidential level. They don't really get to, they don't, they, they, they still have some say. Don't get me wrong. The, the Democrats and the Republicans can both still play a role in choosing uh, the candidates, you know, to put the people out there and profit them up a little bit. Um, but we do get to pick and uh, the party isn't as important as the person anymore. All right. The third parties. First off, the goals of a third-party candidate. Now, we, we talked about this specifically, remember, uh, very briefly, but we did talk about it specifically, in that the goal of the third party changes. You know, it's not to win. They're not going to win in the current system we have. Remember, it's rigged against them, okay? Uh, and, and I think that's the next thing. But <clears throat> if they can get their platform, their ideas, their concerns, their agenda to be picked up by one of the other candidates then that's a win for them they're not they're just not going to win elections especially at the presidential level okay at the congressional level you might see some success some limited success but you might see some all right but at the end of the day if a third party candidate can get their ideas out there then um they're 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 they've had a success uh, so how is the system stacked against third-party candidates? Remember, we talked about the fact that uh, most states, 48 out of the 50 in the primary systems, uh, and then when we get to the Electoral College, 48 out of the 50 have winner-take-all. Okay, and I misspoke there about the primaries. I meant to say the Electoral College only. The Electoral College, remember, is set up to where most of the states have winner-take-all systems, where you get 50.1% of the votes in that state, then you're guaranteed to get all those electoral votes. So here in Georgia, we have 16. You get you get just that one more vote than your opponent. You get all 16 of our votes. There is no splitting them up. There is no divvying them up, dividing them up, or anything like that. If you get them, you get all 16. There, there's no third-party candidate that's going to get 50% of the votes in Georgia, in almost any state. Okay, um, So that system is, is against them. Um, the proportional system, if, if every state went to a proportional system, uh, we might start seeing some more success stories. But right now, we just don't have enough. Uh, interest groups. 
Okay, you've got a couple of things there. Amicus curiae, political parties versus interest groups, again, lobbying and free rider. Okay, so the amicus curiae, remember, this is that Latin term, uh, and what it means is friends of the court. And basically, it's one of the ways that interest groups look to influence the government. Uh, and this is a situation where they've not been able to stop a law or whatever might whatever it is, and the law has been challenged. It became a thing and it got challenged. And so uh, the interest groups, when they see that an issue that is of concern to them is up to the Supreme Court, they're going to start writing letters. And these letters explain to the courts, hey, this is why we think you should vote this or not vote, but this is why you should rule this way. And they try and put constitutional um, precedent in there, uh, cases that set precedent, uh, all kinds of history of why the court should rule a certain way. Um, once again, the courts don't have to listen to these things. They read them uh, and look through them. I don't know if they read every single one of these letters word for word, especially if they're getting hundreds of letters. Um, but it is something they'll, they'll take a look at because yeah, it gives them kind of a, a window uh, outside of their little bubble. Because remember, the Supreme Court is in a bubble. Uh, they don't get elected. They don't really have to worry about public opinion. So this gives them an idea of where things are coming from. Um the political parties versus interest groups are we already kind of talked about up in the political party section so don't feel like you have to uh <clears throat> we're not going to go back over that it, it's all the same thing um is that um yeah and there's a couple questions on there uh that compared them one of them is one of those table questions uh lobbying remember lobbying is something that um interest groups and not just interest groups, but interest groups, businesses, corporations, um, all kinds of different groups will get lobbyists to go try and convince congressmen specifically. Yeah, there'll be some lobbying to uh, the president to an extent, but at the end of the day, they're really the only branch of government that can really affect law, that can get in and make changes to something, that can make something go away, is Congress. And the Congress people that sit on committees, um, and they're the ones that can really affect it. Sorry, the bell's ringing. One of the drawbacks of doing this during the planning period. Uh, <clears throat> so remember, the process is the law gets introduced, it then goes to a committee, and we, we we briefly talked about that. And the committee can make all kinds of changes to it. They can they can adjust it. They can add this. They can take that out. All kinds of things can happen. They can kill the bill in committee. And so lobbyists <clears throat> will go and try and convince uh, their Congress people, hey, my interest group really likes this, and we think it's a great idea if you were to get rid of this part of that bill or to add this part of the bill, or we just want you to kill this bill altogether. So uh, there's a lot of stuff that goes into lobbying, but it's really trying to convince uh, those representatives uh, to, to do something to a particular policy, a particular, particular law, whatever it might be. All right, the free rider. Uh, remember, I said I'm a free rider because any kind of thing that uh, groups here in Georgia were to get teachers, uh, I would benefit from, and they can't stop me, okay? Remember, it's basically where interest groups cannot stop people outside of their group from enjoying the benefits of their work. 
and uh, the environment's the easiest one probably because if the environmental groups get something done to where the air is cleaner the waters taste better whatever okay they can't stop me from enjoying those things okay uh language institution just in general and, and specifically there the question specifically going to be about interest groups and influencing policy as a linkage institution um just remember you know linkage institution uh, that is linking me and you, citizens, voters, electorate, all that kind of stuff, to our politicians, to our government, okay? Um, and interest groups do serve that role. Um, they are going to, to, to link, link us up um, and help get what we want to the policymakers. Because at the end of the day, Interest groups are our citizens. They're individuals and just a group of individuals with a single mindset. So the stuff that we want needs to get to the politicians so we can, so they can make it. Inputs versus outputs. Okay. Uh, electing the president. Rules of the primaries, closed versus open caucuses, superdelegates, and then there's a table analysis on there. Um, so let's run through those. Uh, all right. So rules of the primaries. I don't know if we ever said this, to be honest with you, uh, now that I think about it, but uh, they're all set by the state legislatures and the state parties. So everything's going to be different from state to state. Uh, I will do this. Georgia will do that. Okay. Uh, so all those things are going to be set uh, by those groups versus, um, and so there's not one set of rules. That's out there. Uh, closed versus open. Remember, closed primaries, you have to be registered and identify with that party to go vote in the primary versus open, where you can be either Republican or Democrat and go vote in the Democrat primary, Republican or Democrat and go vote in the Republican primary. Remember, the fear and why we, why some states do closed primaries is there's a fear that the other side will come in and vote for the worst of your candidates. Let's vote for that Chris Daniels guy. He's the worst candidate. Let's get him elected, and then we can whoop him in the national election. Yeah, that's the goal there. Uh, caucuses, what is it? Where are they? Uh, remember, this is the primary for some states, okay? And remember, I told you that I would not vote if this was the system that Georgia uses. Luckily, we don't. In this system, you're going to show up to wherever you you go, wherever wherever your locality is holding their little little elections, uh, school gym, church, whatever it might be, and you're going to show up, and there'll be representatives for the candidates uh, hanging around, and then they're going to start talking, and they're going to be talking about their candidates and why they're the best ever and why you should vote for them. So you listen. Hey, I like this guy. Let me go stand over there with his group. Oh, that guy's making some good points over there. Let me go stand with his group. So you're 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 potentially constantly moving around, and you'll you'll finally have a vote that way. Okay, it's very time consuming, a couple hours worth of your day. I'm just not going to give up my time that way. Okay, I'm not going to give up my time that way. So that's uh, but that's what they are. And then the first one is in Iowa. It's always the most important. There's a few states that do it, but Iowa is the big one, uh, and Iowa is on the test. So you do need to know that. Uh, superdelegates. Remember, superdelegates is a Democrat-only thing. So it's Democrats only. 
don't think that it's uh, both sides. And basically, uh, they were created uh, maybe in the 70s. I can't remember when they were created. That's not important. But they were created to kind of legitimize the, the whole uh, primary process. Because remember, um, delegates are going to, to vote for the nomina nominee for the presidency from your party. Uh, on the Democratic side, so you have the delegates. And if you win a state or parts of a state, you get delegates from that state. So uh, every state's different. Uh, the Democrats have around 4,500, 5,000, somewhere in there, uh, delegates total, uh, including the superdelegates. So each state has a n different number of delegates. So you win 25% of Georgia, you get 25% of the delegates from Georgia. They are going to vote for you. You're guaranteed those delegates. Okay. The superdelegates, though, they're not beholden to anybody. They are, they can vote however they want to. So just because you won Georgia, you might not win Georgia because the superdelegates might outvote you and, and not vote for you uh, in that nomination process, especially if it's a close, close, close uh, race um, down, the, down the road. So uh, that's what they are. Okay. Uh, they can, and I showed you the, the stats, how Bernie Sanders back in 2016 was leading uh, Hillary Clinton, you know, 17 something to 16 something. Uh, and the superdelegates voted for uh, Hillary. Okay. Uh, all right. So there's three questions on a table. You just have to read some, some voter turnout uh, data uh, on there. So that is, uh, there's a couple questions on that. All right. Switching gears to the back of your paper. Congressional elections, uh, the incumbent advantages. Uh, incumbent, remember, is the person that's already in office. So Joe Biden, if he runs for president in 2024, he will be the incumbent. Uh, Brian Kemp, who's running for governor, uh, is our current governor and running for governor again in 2022. He is the incumbent. All right. So those are the people that are in, in office. Specifically in Congress, it's very important to be the incumbent because on the House side, you win about 90% of the time. On the Senate side, you win about 70% of the time. You have a lot of stuff going for you as the incumbent. You have name recognition. So I go to the polls. And I mean, I try to do my research, but I don't always know everybody, but I might recognize uh, a name. Oh, that person's in office already. I, I recognize that name. Okay. So they got that going for them. They can do something called credit claiming where, you know, if I'm in office, I can list all the things I've done. Hey, I got this part built for you over here. Hey, I got this money raised for you over here. I did all this stuff for you. My challenger can just say, well, I, I want to do this. I want to do that, but there's no proof that they'll be able to. I can show you what I've done. So that's a big one. Uh, and so once again, the incumbents just, they win quite often. Okay. Uh, modern campaigns, social media's effect on campaigns. Uh, there's a quote uh, on the test and you have to kind of analyze it a little bit. Um, but just understand social media uh, has really changed the way uh, we connect. You know, I can probably get on my Twitter account right now and uh, find candidates that are running for, for something, Senate seats, House seats, uh, and I can, um, you know, interact with or try to interact with them, or at least their social media account. Uh, but it's just a way to connect, um, you know, me and you, candidates, uh, to the, the offices. Okay. Uh, campaign finance, the last little bit that I'll spend a great deal of time on. Yeah, PACs, soft money, hard money, Citizens United. So remember, the PACs are the political action committees. They were created because they started to regulate the money. So I'm limited to how much money I can donate. I'm limited to how much my business can donate, so on and so forth. But 
but I got more money that I want to donate. What can I do? So they created these political action committees where now I give my limit to my candidate and then I give some money to this group over here, the political action committee. They give money to the, the candidate. Okay. Um, the soft money versus hard money. Uh, remember, soft money is the money that was given is given to political parties and it is not regulated. McCain-Feingold was trying to uh, ban it. Okay, they did not like it uh, because it's it's not regulated. You can get as much you want to. So the money was was kind of control, out of control almost. Uh, hard money is the money that is regulated. You give money to a candidate directly, they got to keep track of it. They got to keep track of how it's spent and all those sorts of things. So soft money is unregulated and it's kind of, it's the wild, wild west of uh, political donations. And then hard money is very much so regulated. Okay. And then Citizens United, uh, on the test, there is a, a passage from one of the opinions written. Okay. Uh, one of the written opinions from the, uh, one of the justices on it. And so you'll have to take some information from there, but just so you know, Sorry, I'm drinking some tea here. The Citizens United, remember, they were a group, a conservative group. And back in um, 08, they produced a movie called Hillary the Movie that was designed to pretty, pretty much put a stop to Hillary's uh, presidential run. She was running against President Obama at the time. Um, and so the movie got stopped because of who Citizens United had taken money from some businesses and corporations and things like that. And the FEC said, that's illegal. You're, you're violating the McCain-Feingold Act. Okay. Uh, and so that's where the case comes from. The fact that Citizens United says, hey, we should be able to take money from whoever we want to. These businesses should be able to donate money to whoever they want to is part of free speech. And that's what the court is going to agree or say, is that money is free speech. And these businesses, these corporations, these organizations, they have that free speech just as much as me or you, and they can give money to who they want to. Okay, so Citizens United is going to basically uh, allow the businesses to get, to give money to interest groups like Citizens United uh, that can do things beyond just support a candidate. All right, uh, they can make Hillary the movie to make her look as bad as possible. All right, the uh, media stuff we covered in class. I defined almost all of these things, but just real quick, uh, investigative journalism. That is where uh, you're going to be looking for the scandals you're going to be going further beyond what the the politicians just want you to talk about uh digging around and looking for information things like that uh narrow casting that is where it's a channel or programming or whatever you want to call it that is just for one 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 area you know espn is all sports Agenda setting, this is a huge role of the uh, media, uh, and it plays a huge, makes a big big deal for public opinion because they tell us what to, to worry about. They tell us what we should know about, what we should be concerned about in the agenda setting. The watchdog function, uh, this is them, <clears throat> when I say them, the media, watching uh, the politicians. And it it helps because we, we don't know. I, I would have no idea what's going on up in D.C., if it wasn't for the, the media telling me, hey, this is what's happened today on the, on the House floor, and the Senate floor, and all that kind of stuff, all right? Uh, or if someone's in trouble, they're telling me why. Equal time, um, they cannot, when I say they, the media, they cannot discriminate. 
So if I sell ads to this one candidate, I have to sell to his opponent. Or if I sell ads to this one party, I have to sell to the other party as well. Um, and then you've got right of reply. This is if I get attacked on your show, on your station, I get to come on, my opponent gets to come on, or whatever I'm saying. Um, basically, if you attack someone, you're they, they get to come on and defend themselves. Okay. So that's the right reply. All right, guys. Uh, that is the review. The test uh, is, once again, 40 questions. Uh, we'll come in and get going. Uh, there are some table questions, some some chart questions, but there are also some really low-level questions. So it's a good mix, I think, of questions where you got to read a little bit, think a little bit, but then others where you can just mindless, mindlessly answer them. All right, guys, as always, if you need help, uh, have questions, concerns about any of the stuff on the review uh, that's on the test tomorrow, uh, let me know. You can text me via remind. Uh, I'll be up to about 1030 or so. Uh, and you can uh, respond there. Um, if you want to get on Twitter, social media, uh, you can contact me there. The school account is chhsgov underscore civics, or uh, you can do uh, the uh, K Daniels uh, AP Gov one as well. So any of those are, are fine and I'll respond to you as quickly as possible. Uh, to either of those or email or come and see me during the day, whatever. Let's, let's get your questions answered if we need to. All right, guys, I'm almost at the 30 minute mark here. So that's going on long enough. I will see you in class. Good luck on the test. Stay dry out there. It's raining. Uh, and love you, Jason Applin. You're the man. Rest in peace, buddy.